Morning. Morning. How are you? Good. All well. That's good. Well, as Shane said, my name is Justin. I'm from the Waters Church Norwood campus, and uh, as always, every time my family and I are here, it's a, really a delight to be with you this morning. If it is your first time, we're thrilled that you're here, and uh, we really hope you've enjoyed every little minute up till now, and that you're going to carry on enjoying it, and really be challenged, stirred, and uh, comforted as we really gather in the name of Jesus Christ. So I went to a great concert last night, Jesus Culture, in Boston. It was great. Loved it. Uh, nice to be a great evening uh, out with friends, and uh, good to see a lot of Christians gathering together in uh, Boston. It was wonderful. At the same time, uh, with just a seven-hour time zone difference, a lot of my friends from South Africa were going to a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert. Uh, <laughs> also, I'm sure they also had a good time. A different, uh, different kind of theme, you could say, but often the same presentation, the same sort of thing is what happens at a concert. People gather together, people are excited, they're motivated, they dress up, they're looking forward to what's coming up, hands are in the air, they dance, they enjoy, they sing along, they, uh, they worship. Hey? <laughs> a little bit of worship happens, and, uh, and it's because there is something powerful about music. There is something incredibly emotional about music. Music, that's why it's one of the biggest industries in the world, is music. Music appeals to us. It speaks into our hearts. It connects us with eternity. There's something amazing about, uh, about music, and that's why it's such a, a massive part of the industry, and that's why we want to talk about it this morning, and that's why we do music. We do worship. That's why we sing. That's why we put so much effort into what goes on here every time we gather together. So I thought, uh, why don't we just have a look at the industry briefly? Now, you may know about Twitter. In fact, uh, usually they've got it up on the, on the board there, why we uh, or, or it's, uh, follow Waters Church. So Twitter, for those who don't know, is a social network. It's, it's on the internet. And what happens is you create a profile, and then you put out little statements, short statements, of anything that you want, and people can follow you. So they can read everything that you're putting out there. So uh, why don't we have a look at the top five tweeters in the world? Because this is a good indicator of what kind of voices are being listened to the most in the world by a certain generation. So coming in at number five on the top five tweeters is, take a guess, Barack Obama, the president. Okay, he comes in at number five, and that's fair. Of all the tweeters in the world that the president of, of the USA should come in at number five, I think is pretty good. He should have a very dominant and a very prominent voice that many people are listening to. So Barack Obama has 26 million followers. In other words, he can at any moment in time pull out his iPhone or whatever phone he has. I think it's probably an iPhone. And uh, he can say, right, what do I feel like telling people today? And he can send out a little message. And the 26 million people will see, oh, this is what Barack says. Okay. Coming in at number four. Any guesses? Rihanna. Anyone see that coming? From Barack Obama to Rihanna coming in at number four. So she trumps Barack by uh, 200, what, what would that be? Two uh, million people. Is that right? 28 million people for Rihanna. So she can uh, say whatever she wants to say. 28 million people listen to her. Coming in at number three, Katy Perry. Interesting, huh? How many? 31 million. Coming in at number two, 
It's going to shock you. Lady Gaga. The lady who wore a dress made out of meat has the ear of 33.6 million people. Astonishing. Any guesses who number one is? Justin Bieber. Bieber fever. They don't call it Bieber fever for nothing. Justin Bieber recently, I think it must be within the last month or so, Trump Lady Gaga is number one with 33.7 million followers. Can you believe that? Of all the people in the world, of all the different types of people, all the skills, all the expertise, all the knowledge, uh, all the philosophy, the top four are pop icons. Top four tweeters are musicians, singers, songwriters. Unbelievable. And at the same time, it is kind of believable because there is something incredibly powerful about music. And I hope this illustrates to us how dominant it is and why it is such a powerful thing. And it certainly is something for us to consider with, with regards to music in our Christianity, in our daily living. Why do we gather? Why do we worship? Why do we put so much effort, time, money, and resource into having a polished presentation up in the front here? This isn't a, a come one, come all with your banjo and, uh, banjo and whatever it is that you might have. Uh, to come and join in, you can see that there's a lot of effort that goes into this. Lights, bit of smoke machine here and there, drums, everything. And we put a lot of effort into it. And I, we, why do we do it? Why? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. When it comes to music, music evokes worship. Music evokes worship. In other words, music causes us to worship. Music connects us with the spiritual realm. A great word is transcendence. Transcendence is of the things that relate to the spiritual. There is something spiritual about music. There is. There is something that unites hearts. And music evokes worship. So I can tell you, whether you were at Jesus Culture or at Red Hot Chili Peppers, people were worshiping. At Jesus Culture, one would hope that we're worshiping Jesus and not Chris Kalala or Kim Walker or the music. At Red Hot Chili Peppers, I can tell you that people were worshiping. They were worshiping a phenomenal band. They were worshiping what a band's lifestyle stood for. They're worshiping lyrics. Music does all kinds of things. It makes us feel excited. It makes us feel depressed. It makes us feel in love. And people worship those emotions. They worship the concept of being in love. I, want to, I just want to be in love. And so we listen to love music, romantic music. We want to feel excited, so we put on something with a bit of a beat. We worship those things. We worship the icons or the idols behind the music. It's not for nothing that there's one of the top TV shows is American Idol. What do we do with idols? We worship them. It's kind of blatant. Let's give you someone new to worship. Shocking. But it's the way of the world. It is. We worship idols and music calls into our hearts and it says, let me give you something to worship. Let me give you something to worship. Friends, this is not 
evil. This is by God's design. Before we even existed, as in mankind, music existed. The devil, Lucifer, as he was known back then, was the chief musician in heaven. He was the chief music maker. And in pride, he rose up against God and God cast him out of heaven. And, uh, but the point is that there is music. There was music even before we were around. And God created music, not for the sake of music, but for the sake of worship toward Him. We use music to worship God. That's why we put, this is such a major part of, of, uh, of our gathering together. And in fact, I heard something which shocked me yesterday as a preacher, but it's obviously true, is that everybody will remember the songs more for longer than they'll remember what the preacher said. <laughs> it's true. That's why we put so much into our worship expression, because there is something about music that evokes worship, and we use that music not to enjoy the music, but to worship God. It's about God. It's about calling into our hearts and saying, fix your attention on God. Let eternity be stirred up. Let us be awakened to eternity. Let us be awakened spiritually, and let's use these emotions, whether they are emotions towards love or towards excitement or towards whatever it is, and say, God, we steer this to you, and we worship you. That is why we use music. That is why music is so important for us. And music is not separate to Christianity. It's not like music belongs to the world and we have a different kind of music in Christianity. Music is not something that is totally uh, separate, that God doesn't want any part of. God created music. And He does it to stir us, to awaken our hearts toward Him. Toward Him. Amen. Does it make sense? Good. Who are you still thinking about Justin Bieber? <laughs> Number one. You know, if you, look, if you read the Bible, you'll see that this theme of music runs throughout the Bible, this theme of worship, this theme of singing songs to the Lord. It runs throughout the Bible. In fact, in the Bible, more than one book is a book of song. There's the book of Psalms, which is just a collection of songs, songs that have been written to the Lord. There's the Song of Solomon, which is a song written between a, a lover and his beloved. And throughout the Bible, you find people writing songs in response to God and to what He's done. People, the Israelites, the Israelites would write songs when they needed God. They would sing songs out to God and say, Oh, we need you, whatever it might be. They cry out to Him by the river of Babylon. Old song that we used to sing. Good one. So, one of the themes that comes through, and this verse is mentioned in the Bible 44 times, this one-liner. It's like the theme song for Israel. God is good, and His love endures forever. God is good, and His love endures forever. If ever they were short or didn't know what to sing, that's what they would sing. God is good, and His love endures forever. The point of their song, the point of their worship, the point of their gathering together, the point of their music was to glorify God. Psalm 117 is another great one. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol Him. All you peoples, for great is His love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise Him. Praise Him. So when it comes to worship, I've got three broad categories or three broad points as to why we worship. And firstly, the first and fundamental and foremost reason that we worship is for God. We worship for God. 
And we do it to praise Him. Just like it says in that psalm, praise the Lord. We praise God. There's something about just praising God which is, which is magnificent. God is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of it. And so no matter how we're feeling, as, as Christians growing in maturity, we, we come to a place where no matter what our morning is like, no matter what our week is like, no matter what our life is like, we can get before God and say, God, I praise you. I praise you because you are worthy of praise. Nothing to do with me. I don't view you through a filter of my own life or circumstances because you are worthy of praise. And so we praise Him. So when we get together, one of the things that we do is we praise God. We praise Him. Another thing that we do in our worshiping of God and our singing to, toward God is we thank Him. I remember as a young uh, teenager feeling, you know how teenagers are often just depressed all the time or, or uh, melancholic or maybe to put it in a more technical term, hormonal. <laughs> we, uh, as, a, as a teenager, I was feeling you know, like a teenager often feels pretty dark about life, but I was a Christian and I was in church. And I remember somebody saying, either during the worship or at some point, they said, they quoted an old song that said, Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Then you will remember what the Lord has done. I can't remember exactly how the second line went, but I remember, Count your many blessings, name them one by one. And so I, I kind of liked that, and I said, All right, well, let me do that. And so I started doing that, just in my mind, just in church while I was standing there in the worship. And I started counting the blessings. It shifted my focus. There is something about thanksgiving which causes us to elevate our way of thinking, elevate our hearts. There's something about thanksgiving which, which causes us to stop grumbling. Be thankful. It's a changing of attitude. And so in our praising, we've got to say, God, what am I thankful for? And we call out the things that we're thankful for. So in our worship, let's be thankful for anything and everything. We can be giving thanks to God. Listen to this scripture. Ephesians 5. We're going to come back to it again just now. But Ephesians 5 says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks. Giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our worship has got to be peppered with thanksgiving. In everything, we've got to be able to say, God, I thank you. Thank you for my family. Thank you that I'm here. Thank you for whatever it might be. Let us be overflowing in thankfulness toward the Lord. Okay. So then, with regards to our worship being for the Lord, the other thing that we do in our worship for the Lord is we love Him. We declare our love for Him. Music is incredibly powerful, for setting the scene for romance. Put on a bit of Barry White, a bit of John Mayer, a bit of whatever it might be. But it sets the scene for romance. And friends, we have a love relationship with God. As much as we praise Him, as much as we worship Him, we also love Him from the depths of our heart. I heard a, a great Van Morrison classic, Have I Told You Lately That I Love You? You know it? Have I told you lately that I love you? Come on. <laughs> Have I told you there's no one else but you? You fill my life. Am I on my own yet? <laughs> what a beautiful love song 
that I took to singing toward God. I loved him. And I would sing it. I would say, God, have I told you that I love you? There is no one else but you. We love God. And so let's use music, one of the greatest communicators of love, song, one of the most demonstrative uh, communicators of love, to sing our love to God. We love Him. We don't just praise because He is worthy of praise. We don't just worship because He should be worshipped. But we love Him because we love Him. We love Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Not for God so needed to rescue the world. For God was concerned about the world. For God was proud of His creation. For God so loved the world. Our relationship with God is one of love. And so we sing love songs to Him. We do. We've got to be doing it privately, and we've got to be doing it every time we gather together, singing our love songs to the, world, to the Lord. So that's the first thing, is that our worship is first and foremost always for God. But second, our worship is for us. Our worship to God is not to us, but it's to God, but it's for us. There's something about our worship which edifies and unites us. There's something about being together, singing the same song, which unites people. If I think back to a concert, there's something that instantly connects between people when they've been at the same concert or the same event. Hey, you were at that concert. Yeah, so was I. What about this and that and the next thing? There's something about, there's something about uniting hearts, uniting voices, synchronizing whatever it is that we're singing to God. There's something about it that unites and edifies us. This is from... Ephesians 5. Yeah, we just read it. Let's read the first line with a bit of an emphasis on the first line. He says, speak to one, sorry, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's interesting. Speak to one another. So in our singing, in our gathering on a Sunday morning or on a Saturday night or whatever it is that you gather together, a couple of different things are happening. Firstly, the band has chosen a number of songs which they feel will be appropriate for the morning. They'll wait on the Lord and they'll say, what are we going to sing today? And some of the songs, if you look at the words, will be almost like words of God that they are singing out over us. They're singing to us with songs, psalms and spiritual songs. That's what they're doing. They're singing to us, and they're songs that we almost let wash over us, and we sing with them, and we recognize that this is the voice, the Word of God, the ministry of God over us. They're singing to us, and then they will say, right, uh, with the choice of song, they'll say, right, now join with us as we sing to God, and we do that. We join together, band one another, all of us, we sing to God, and there's something about singing to each other. So what I often do and I've done it for years, is I'll turn around and I'll have a look at the congregation. It might seem rude, but I've got a, a sincere heart as I do it. Uh, and I'll look at the congregation and, and I look at how we're, we're all singing. We're engaging with one another for this audience of one. We're singing to one another for His sake. Sometimes, depending on who I'm sitting next to, I'll stand quite close to them and sing in their ear <laughs> so that I can sing to them about how good God is. I don't sing too well, but you should hear me clap. <laughs> and so we do that. We clap, we stamp, we, we get involved in the music as we sing to God, as we sing to one another and as we sing with one another. So be aware of that. What's going on here is not, we don't just do this because at church we sing, and this is what we've done for thousands of years. 
It's very deliberate. The songs that are chosen are incredibly deliberate. We choose deliberate songs. We sing to one another and we join with one another in singing to God. Be active in it. Be present in it. Be involved in it. The other thing about worship, and I, I realized this once uh, when, uh, as, a, as a youngster, I went up onto a mountaintop with some guys who were going to do uh, paragliding. It's where they jump off a cliff uh, with strapped to a harness with a parachute, and they float around there a little bit, and it was just an exquisite view at the top of this cliff. Just magnificent. It's so big that your eyes almost don't know how to take it all in. And so I remember looking at it and thinking, wow, this is just beautiful. This is just amazing. But after just a few minutes, I remember either I was sitting down on the floor or something, but I was poking around on the floor and I was looking at things around me and fiddling with this. And I'd kind of forgotten about this majestic view. And I was looking at the, the small things that were around me. And I felt the Lord challenge me in that moment. And He said, why, do you, why are you occupied with the small things around you when you've got this majestic view to be taking in? And many times our lives of worship are like that, where we in worship can fix our eyes on the glory of our majestic God, but instead we settle for looking at the, the paltry things around us. Now these things are the things that make up our everyday living, the things that we are accustomed to looking at, the things that we are accustomed to thinking about, being concerned about, worrying about, wondering about. And we bring that same thing into our worship time and we carry on in worship with this majestic God before us. I, see the, I saw the Lord seated high on His throne and the train of His robe filled the temple. But I was concerned with my things here and there that I'm still thinking about from last night. We come into worship and we deliberately take our eyes off these things and we fix our eyes on this majesty which is difficult to take in, which is overwhelming which can't be taken in with one quick glance, but which has to be scrutinized. And we say, God, I take my eyes off these things and I fix them on you now. That's what we do in our worship. When we do that, it elevates our gaze from the things around us. And many times the things around us in our everyday living are so overwhelming that it's what we think about, it's what we're occupied with all the time. And for our own sakes, friends, it's vital that we just give ourselves a break from those things as often as we can and fix our eyes on God. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Be occupied with Him. When we do that, these things become small and insignificant. The cares of our life grow small. And so we fix our gaze on Jesus. It elevates us. It gives us a sense of victory. It actually puts the things into perspective puts our life into perspective. We've got to be doing that for our own sake. We've got to worship. God is worthy. Everything about it is for God. But for our own sake, we need to deliberately, proactively say, now is the time of worship. Now I'm going to worship. We've got to be doing it. Let me see if I had another scripture there. Did I read this one already? Colossians 3.16. Let's read it. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the Word of Christ live in you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Another part of the why we. Why do we teach? Why do we preach? And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. I think we did read it. 
Am I wrong? Okay. <laughs> All right. It's very similar to Ephesians 5, I know. All right, let's move on. So number one is for God. Our worship is for God, for praise, thanks, and loving Him. Number two, it's for us. It edifies us, unites us, and it lifts our gaze of our circumstances. Number three, our worship is for the world. Our worship is for the world. Let me tell you an incredible story. I think it's an incredible story. Johann Sebastian Bach, a classical composer, a Christian man. He wrote music that was so articulate and so beautiful. His final piece of music that he wrote, many people who listened to it said, surely this music was penned by the Holy Spirit Himself. It was so infused with the life and the majesty of God that they, that they said this music, there is something transcendental about this music. There's something about this music that relates to the spiritual. And so he wrote this music in the 1700s. Now, 200 years before that, the Jesuit priests moved into Japan, which was absolutely godless. They went in there with the intention of, of uh, creating disciples, setting up churches, and they lasted in Japan for 30 years before they were kicked out by the shogun at the time, who was the emperor. Uh, they were kicked out after 30 years, and he said, I don't want any Western influence, and especially I don't want you coming with your religion into my country. So they were kicked out. But what they brought with them, amongst many other Western things, they brought with them their style of music. Now their style of music for those Jesuit priests at that time was that kind of Gregorian chant. You know what I'm talking about? It's that very haunting, very beautiful uh, a cappella chanting that they brought in, spiritual. So they brought that style of music in and it appealed to the Japanese. It appealed to them. They liked it. So while the people were kicked out, the music and the musical influence and appreciation remained. So over the years, over 200, 300 years, the Japanese continued to appreciate that musical influence while disregarding the religion or disregarding the faith, which was the very source, the life source, the origin of that kind of music. But they held on to that music. And then it, it paved the way over time for Johann Sebastian Bach music, his music, to start making an impact and an influence in Japan. Now, his music, let me, I just want to read it properly here. Now, Japan, they don't have appropriate words that would directly translate our word for hope. But Bach's music was infused with hope, with God, and with love. All these concepts were foreign to the Japanese. Hope, God, and love. But Bach's music contained it. That music could contain those themes. And we know that that's true. So somebody asked uh, one of these Japanese uh, experts on music. They said, what makes Bach so successful among the Japanese? Why, does, why are they so taken up with his music? Why, are they, why does it appeal to them so much? And this man, O'Hara, replied, and he said, Bach gives us hope when we are afraid. He gives us courage when we despair. He comforts us when we are tired. He makes us pray when we are sad, and He makes us sing when we are full of joy. Isn't that incredible? In the same article that I read, people would say, now when I listen to this music, it, it helps me to understand within my heart what people mean when they talk about hope, when they talk about love, 
And so, friends, our music, our celebration, our singing together is a demonstration to the world of why music exists. Music doesn't exist for the sake of those feelings. Music exists to point us to the origin of those feelings, which is God Almighty, Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, who cries out from the heavens into the depths of men's heart and says, wake up. Wake up, I'm calling you. I'm calling you to worship. I'm calling you to life. And so there's something about music which causes people to wake up, for them to feel spiritually alive. And the point of it is Jesus. The point of it is God. The point of it is a relationship with Him. The point of it is an unburdening of the sinfulness of our own lives and a taking on of who Jesus is. That is the point of it. And that's why we gather. When we worship, friends, let us not waste these moments by being distracted with the things around us or by coming in and saying, I don't really like this song or it's too loud or I can't understand what the words are meaning. Let's not waste these moments and let them pass by when these are moments for our hearts to be stirred, for Jesus Christ to be lifted up. I heard someone say that, I don't need anything to worship God, but I will use everything to worship Him. I don't need anything. And that's true. We don't need anything. I don't need you. You don't need me. I don't need music. I don't need anything. I can worship God in a field on my own. <clears throat> but I would rather be in the house of God. Like David said, how good it was when, the, when I led the procession into the house of God, a man of worship. Don't waste these moments. Even now as we're going to close just now with a song, make it count. Make it count. Let your heart be stirred. Let me tell you this. If you feel nothing, if you feel nothing when you sing a song, it's okay because the point of the song is not the emotion. The point of the song is praise. Okay? If you feel something great, relish that feeling. Soak it in because it's God calling out saying, worship me. Worship me from your heart. Worship me from the depths. So we do everything. We don't wait until we are moved to worship before we worship. We worship until we are moved. Amen? we got to do that. So be deliberate about having your times of worship. Some of us, I think, need to switch off the radio in the car and put on a CD of Christian music. Not Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> Get some good Christian music. Get some classical music from those old guys. Get some music from Bach. Let it wash over you. Switch off the junk. Some of you guys need to start learning to play the guitar. Some of you learned the guitar, the piano, whatever it might be, and you've put it aside. And I want to say to you, pick it up. Use it to worship. Some of you guys, maybe you're thinking, oh, I'm too old to learn a new instrument. Too old to have to do this. Friend, hear from God. If He's saying, I want you to worship me in the quietness of your lounge, gently playing D, A, and G on your guitar, very slowly, do it. Do it in worship to Him. Do it. Let us have a lifestyle of worship. 
Whether we're out there or whether we're in here, let us have a lifestyle of worship. Friends, when new people come in, we don't want them to be dazzled by what's going on in the stage. We want them to be blown away by the fact that these are a people who demonstrate their love for God with loud singing, loud clapping, and loud demonstration. That they know that these are people who are gathering here not because of anything other than God Almighty. Everything we do is in the name of Jesus Christ. We gather in His name, for His name, for His glory. That's what we do. That's what we do. Amen.